Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring the best and the brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Mr. Ryan Kutcher. Ryan is the founder and chief creative officer at Circus Maximus, an award-winning agency that on average, helps their partners grow by more than 300% per year. And Ryan is an Adland veteran, launching some of the most successful campaigns out there, which earned him the title of being a three-time Grand Prix winner at the Cannes Advertising Festival for Method, Volkswagen, and Burger King. And before starting Circus Maximus, he worked with Crispin Porter and Boski, as well as J. Walter Thompson. And he cut his teeth as a creative director there in the last 10 years, have been a history in the making at Circus Maximus. And I'm very excited to finally get the podcast back on its roots with some real ad land veterans. And we're going to talk shop here. So let's do it. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, and, yeah. and Ryan is calling in from the great state of Texas in Austin. So I'm thrilled to have you here today. So um, let's talk about the early days. I was telling you before we hit the record button that I, I like to hit the rewind button and and go back. You didn't always want to be in, in Anlin, right? Like that kind of wasn't, wasn't your deal. You went to school for economics. Yeah. I didn't always know Adlan was an option. I mean, I, w- I was saying this to someone, you know, like you grow up, you see advertising on TV. It never dawned on me that people made that or what that was or like, that the products that I bought in the store, someone designed those packages or none of it, like even into through and through college, like none of that was really communicated. And so I just didn't know it existed. Right. Like you kind of like, it, w- it wasn't a thing of interest. You saw the ads on TV, maybe you watched the Super Bowl here or there. You never like were curious how it was made, but you went to William and Mary for, for economics. How did, how did, I mean, we're going to jump ahead to, um, to to your time in Miami going to um uh the portfolio school down there but like there there's got to be something in between man how did you make that jump yeah well so the, the the choice of William and Mary was like what i knew in my family education was a priority and so um throughout like my childhood uh my parents were really great in that they indulged me i would take you know, creative writing classes during the summer. You know, most kids were probably doing like sports camp and stuff like that. I was doing these kind of, you know, creative writing classes or or whatever through through kind of education programs. And so getting through high school, you take the SATs, you try to get right. into a really great college. Like their priority was education. My priority was going somewhere warm because <laughs> I was I was living in New York, and like right. you know, Why not? at some point in the winter, you know, the vitamin D starts to dip, and you're thinking like it would be cool if I went somewhere warm. And so 
I, I looked at a bunch of schools on the East Coast, all of which were, you know, kind of spread throughout the South and then um, into the Northeast. And, and where that Venn diagram of like warm and good education overlapped was sitting, you know, William and Mary. And I ended up applying early decision and probably like most 18 year olds, I really had no idea what the consequences of that decision were. Yeah, most of um, No idea. I don't know what I, I, all I knew that, you know, you go to college and then you get a job and, and then you die. And so right. <laughs> in that order, yeah, in that, in that order, timelines yeah. change. But so I kind of ended up at William and Mary because it was like a, a, a reputable school. It, it satisfied something that my dad was really keen on, which was like, quote unquote, Ivy League level education at state school prices. Um, and it's like is Binghamton like, here in New York, right? Yeah. Binghamton, yeah. great, great university. Um, and, and, and that, so like a lot of the decisions were kind of made as rational on paper decisions. Um, but I kind of got to school and really like within the first week I was like, wait, this is it? Like this is, I'd seen Revenge of the Nerds. This did not reflect my idea of what a college experience was going to be about. Um, it was a small liberal arts school, public university. And yeah, it's a great school. Culturally, the fit was kind of weird to be blunt. Well, yeah. What was, what was missing, man? But I mean, I assume you went down there to, to visit, right? Or you just went on a whim? No, you went down. I'm sure you checked it out. We did a visit and so it, it makes a real nice first impression. It's like, the, it's like the taste test, like, you know, one <laughs> sip of this school, it's like delicious. And then when you get a whole beverage of it, you're like, I, I was expecting more. You're in Williamsburg, Virginia, which if, if, if listeners know, I mean, Williamsburg, Virginia is pretty much defined by colonial bush gardens. So Ooh, would I like, have some weird childhood memories of going to that place. I was like, is this yeah. an amusement park? I mean, we're really making a theme of colonial times as an amusement park. Take me to Bush Gardens over there. It's good in the roller coasters. Who remember those rocking good times from the 1600s when you had to churn your own <laughs> butter? Like, who, like, get, talk about excitement. I so saw that, a campaign within this kind of dialogue right now. I'm telling you, man, it could be kind of funny. Like, kids in the car, wrong expectations of the trip. Parents think they got a good idea going. Well, like, one highlight would be like on a Friday night. <laughs> You'd be going to the grocery store when you're of age. You know, you'd be going to get beer or whatever right, for a party, and the butter turner would be like filling his Subaru Outback with his groceries, and you'd be like, "Yo, you're breaking the fourth wall," you know. And it's like, <laughs> so that's the kind of excitement that I was experiencing in college. It was not uh, foam parties <laughs> and 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 Diplo, you know. And so, <laughs> um, but it was a good academic experience. It was very like rigorous. You know, it had a reputation as being a very rigorous school, um, which, you know, I guess is all right. But, um, you know, I think what they say, like with Harvard, and I didn't go to Harvard, but they're like, the hardest part is getting in. And then with William Mary, the hardest part was like staying in. And I was like, no, you don't want that. No, I want the opposite. No. Yeah. And you want to, you want, in retrospect, I, I suppose what I wanted was, unexpected experiences kind of at the drop of a hat. So like if you compare it to something like NYU, where you're going to be in the heart of New York city, right. at your fingertips, a, anything you want, a curious, creative 19 year old is going to have their cup over full with opportunities to do different things. And 
at the risk of sounding, you know, like controversial, I'm not sure how much I really benefited from college. So let's let's pause on that for one second there. And it, and it brings up um, it's a quote from one of my favorite artists that uh, a piece that I love, Peter Tunney down in Florida says expectations are the blueprints of disappointment. Was that like an early point of your of your of your life in your career when like you know, like you expect something that's really not and you have to start to make some choices about what's next? Yeah, well, I think it was setting the early seeds of of the realization that like the the, the blueprint for your expectations is just one way. It's a way to go about creating a life for yourself. And I think like skipping ahead a little bit, the thing that became appealing to me about advertising is that, so I, I got a, I received an email, it's like 2001 or two or something like that. I received an email from the business school, which I had dropped out of um, for other reasons. And it was for one credit class in advertising that was going to be taught by this professor who was a former creative director, like a proper Don Draper madman dude. And literally the minute this guy walks into class, I'm like, I perk up and I'm going, this is unlike anything that these people have been telling. My school graduated a lot of people into accounting. Mm -hmm. Like they're just to give some context here. For context, anyone that wants to know. And if anyone remembers like the Arthur Anderson scandal of the early 2000s, like that was mostly my you know, yeah, most William and Mary alumni. Yep. Yeah, it was a lot of them. And so very straight laced, very buttoned up, very like accounting centric. And this guy comes in and he's like, you just make shit up and you sell it. And I was like, this is great. This mm. is a combination of those things that my parents had indulged me in more. me as a kid. Like you tell stories, you come up with narrative, you draw pictures, you persuade people. I always like to make a joke. You manipulate people. You, you kind, it kind of blended these ideas and these interests of mine that had been effectively like beaten out of me in the business school of William and Mary, um, undergraduate business school. And, and like, it also was touching on what you had asked about like that blueprint for the future. It was starting to realize like you can create your own. And just by virtue of like, this thing revealing itself that I had never really even known about presenting itself as this opportunity suggested there might be more things like that in the world. If you just want to use your, we talk about mind expansion. We talk about mind expansion and we talk about mind expansion in college, usually in a, in a different way, but that's what it's really like. You go in for one thing. I went to university of Buffalo. I got accepted to the business school early. That's not the way I ended up. And I ended up actually getting kicked out of it, which is a story for another time, but your directions change. And I think that's really the part about, Going to like right now, I mean, let's go on a little tangent here. A lot of mm-hmm. press and people out there saying, questioning the value of a college education. Yeah. Right. Is it worth the money for what you get out of it? Worth the money versus in today's day and age of all this education and knowledge you could get online and, and through other other places well there too. But that time of self-discovery is invaluable. I think it's there's there's two ways to think about it, right? One is like, is college part of your plan or are you part of the college's plan? And when I was at William & Mary, I felt like I was part of their plan. I couldn't get into classes that they didn't say I could get into. I couldn't access certain pieces of information that they were offering within their coursework. And I wasn't getting access to like what I felt was 
what I came to learn was like all of the things that you could do with your life. And the fact is you don't need permission for most of those things. You just need ambition. And it's like, that was skipping ahead a hundred percent. You may have heard this phrase in, in your career and in your life. It's better to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And if I could succinctly, uh, draw up the philosophy of the, of the agency that I first got a job at, Crispin Porter and Bogusky, that was pretty much their approach. And so that started to color like my, I guess, I guess my worldview and like what, what you can do with your life and career and, and started to get the sense of like being an entrepreneur and, and sort of writing the rules and writing your own blueprint um, was, was when all those things started to kind of like coalesce in my brain. So, yeah, so, so let's, so let's, let's pause on that for a minute. Let's just kind of, let's get to the decision point, the infraction inflection point when you said, I am now going to go down to Miami. I'm going to go to portfolio school. I'm going to take this uh, fork in the road, this pivot and move in that direction. Talk to us about that decision point. Were your parents cool with it? My parents were cool with it. And, um, cause I don't know if my parents ever, like, I was really lucky. I had a mom who really can. Uh, indulged like my creative stuff and was like always number one fan. And my mm -hmm. dad, while, while tough and education centric and a guy that worked in finance, he also kind of, I think, got the sense that that probably wasn't for me. And he would, you know, he would cut articles out of magazines for me in high school of like, maybe you should be uh, an yeah. industrial designer, you know, like that's a career. So, so we didn't know, I didn't know, we didn't know what I was going to do. I had a, um, an internship at Solomon Smith Barney in 2001, living in New York City. And that was, that was the year that I had my first panic attack. <laughs> mm, look at that. I walked across Central Park South every day of the summer and got to work smelling like horseshit and leaving <laughs> thinking that it was horseshit. So um, somewhere in there, it, right after that, I discovered this advertising thing and kind of made this decision that I didn't know exactly what it was, but I was going to try to do it. That that instructor, that professor was awesome because he's like, you know, I'm at William Mary, like I said, fish out of water a little bit. And, and he goes, well, you know, 45 minutes down the road is this fantastic advertising agency called the Martin Agency. And mm -hmm. oh, by the way, they have this internship program. You have to apply for it, but I think it might be interesting to you. Hands me the application, and it's basically a coloring book. Yeah, <laughs> you know, the application for this thing was literally. Yeah, they like, want to see. They want to just see what you got. With yeah, your, with your where your mind goes. And so, like synapses are firing, and literally, dude. I, from the moment this guy started talking, I was like, not only am I going to do that, I think I'm going to be pretty good at that. That's and an amazing so, feeling to have early on. Dude, no one gets it. So super lucky. So so while I kind of shit talk the experience of college a little bit, it was the perfect place because it led to this moment. And so I do this application. I'm lucky. I get in. They accept 15 kids. They break us into like three groups of five. And then we take the shape of what would, you know, what, what we still do in advertising, which is like, we we each pitch against one another, mm -hmm. one another. Early early Shark Tank kind of shit. I mean, that's where it came very from. It's a pitch. It's a pitch. Shark it's a pitch. Tank. Yeah, they're sitting there and they're like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like one of you's the creative guy, one of you's the strategy person, one of you's the account person, and stuff like that. And my group ended up winning with 
truly horrible work, but like, <laughs> whatever. You told a good story. Yeah. I mean, it was Hopefully. like, we, we kind of landed the assignment, I guess. And I don't know, we, we at least had a sense of what was going on. And, and so after that, I'm talking with the people, I'm in an advertising agency going like, all right, cool. I, we, you know, mm -hmm. I got in your program. I was a good intern. Would you hire me? And they were like, absolutely not. You know, <laughs> not without a portfolio. And I'm like, what? Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait. What is this portfolio you speak of? How the hell did I get it this far? Wait. So you brought me in as an intern, but I still need to do a portfolio. And for anybody out there who's not in this in this world, portfolio is a collection of work. It is your resume if you're a creative, if, depending what your medium is. If it's writing, if it's uh, design, if it's uh, video, whatever that medium is, it's your body of work, right? That's what your portfolio is, and you have to build it. So how the hell? Is a young creative who hasn't had any work supposed to build a portfolio of work? Take us through real quick, high level portfolio school is. Yeah. So exactly that question is what I asked. So how am I supposed to do this? And they said, you have to go to portfolio school. 2001, there's three of them, basically. They mm -hmm. said there's two in Atlanta. And I'm still kind of thinking like, well, that's even warmer than here. So if I'm going to school, I'm trying to combo like good school plus warm. And then they said, there's one in South Beach, Miami. And before they said Miami, I was like out the door, you know. <laughs> uh, but in fact, I went home and and applied to the the Miami Ad School and worked at UPS for like three months or something like that, and got in for the winter semester of two thousand two. Is that right? Two thousand three, and time flies. And so drove my car from New York to to South Beach, Miami, on December twenty seventh, two thousand two, starting school January fifth or something like that, two thousand three, um, and that's that's where I went to go to portfolio school, which is a two year mission to build a portfolio of fake ads. And just for just for a time frame perspective, everybody, we're we're roughly the, probably the same age. I turned forty four tomorrow, actually. Yeah. Um, Two thousand and two, I uh, was in my first job in Adland working. I was an assistant account executive at a B two B food service agency called the Food Group. So I was getting my feet wet in Adland at the same time. So similar okay. timelines going on here. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'll be forty four in March. So yeah, so you're, you're so you're, you're down in Miami. You're mm -hmm. in sunny and and was correct me if I'm wrong. Is was the school? St I think it's still in the Windwood area, right? It's still in. in yeah, so if that time, and much different like, twenty years, it's still pretty rough around the edges now. I mean, it's you know a little bit different, but back then it was shithole. The only thing you would go to Winwood to do in two thousand and two was to get shot. Now yeah. it's cool. Then yeah, it cool. was in South Beach, and South Beach was like mm -hmm. South Beach was like, oh, this is what I thought college was going to be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's cartoon characters everywhere, and of course. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, and also, Florida is like an impossible place to get arrested if you're within like the standard deviation of of law abiding. So it was good. It was there, good. There's a gray area there. There's quite the gray area down there. It's pretty. It's mostly gray. Yeah. Like Florida is basically for criminals, so you have to be a really, really bad one to get in too much trouble down there. But um, and I wasn't. So, but it was point point being, it wasn't the um like walled garden of William and Mary Academia, it was kind of like, you can do a U-turn on the highway. <laughs> you know, it's <was> like, <laughs> it was crazy. So I, I enjoyed that. And the instructors were all 100%. Like that one guy that I had in college, all of them were that guy. The pros, yeah. Pros, interesting. Mm -hmm. 
you know, barely hanging on to life in some ways, like they all have some sort of problem that fuels their creative spirit. Yeah. Some kind of addiction situation story. There's something, there's something there. No one's freaking normal, right? By conventional standards. But that's what creative was back then. And it still is to a point. It's washed out. We'll get to that in a little bit. So so you're down in my, like, like talk like real quick, like some highlights down there of getting your, your, your synapses firing and those juices flowing creatively. Well, just, I mean, the, you know, the, this is going to sound dumb, but like you just, the, it's one of the handful of cities in the United States where it's like you, 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 if you close your eyes, you wake up there, there's no mistaking that you are there. It's the, the architecture, all the water, the yachts, the, the gold, the bling, mm-hmm. the people on uh, 24 inch rims, you know, spinning rim, like the, the flashiness, oh, yeah. the music, the smells, the dancing, like the whole thing. No it's one's a vibe. No one speaks English. Nothing mm-hmm. works. You're kind of on. There's no blueprint, right? So it's 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 about as 180 from William and Mary as it could be, and that alone was thrilling. There's also like I'm out of school. There's no like classes were like sort of legit, but kind of not. You're kind of there to like you're there to get your portfolio done. And they if you don't do it, that's on you, right? Like, if you don't do it, that's your, like, shit, like, fine, fucking you suck, bye. Like, you're here to do your shit, build your portfolio. If you want to come, if not, you're not going to get anything out of it. Stay in school forever. Pay us forever. We don't care. And my thing was like. It's a great model, actually. I'm, yeah, it's like a gym. Uh, <laughs> we know you're, you're going you're gonna to start paying us, then you're never going to show up, and you're going to pay us forever. Um, but my thing was like, I'm actually not here for two years. I'm here to get my portfolio done. So I'm, I'm mission oriented at this point, like heat seeking job missile. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's kind of what I did. And, and at the same time, the instructors, like the really, the ones that were differentiating themselves were all coming, were all volunteering from this agency called Crispin Porter Bogusky, mm-hmm. which was in Miami. And, just one of those like it was it yeah and like how did i end up here when this place was just kind of like blowing up and so i make friends with a a couple of these guys and girls and women whatever and um i ultimately ended up getting a portfolio together negotiating an internship and dropping out of the miami ad school to take this an, another internship in advertising but this one was the potential of i'm going to get a job and at that time allegedly they didn't hire that many people but i think they had just won burger king which was a huge mm-hmm. account for them at the time they were on a hiring spree it was like they couldn't not hire anyone that was remotely talented you know at that time and there i was in miami this before remote work too they didn't have a new york office i don't think yet no, it was like, and they just needed people, but I had kind of, I think I interned for four months and, and, and actually produced some creative for the Burger King account. And they were like, well, this guy, I was like, you know, if I'm them, I'm going like, well, he seems like he's good. He obviously produced some work. We're going to pay him almost nothing, no risk. And that's how I got my first job. Do you, do you remember your first salary in advertising? $35,000. The guy came in. I was at 28. Tony Cal, Tony Cal, Tony Calcaio, <laughs> awesome guy, tremendous art director, great creative director, and uh, just a beautiful human. Walked in with a post-it note and goes, "I think we're going to offer you a job." And then he showed me the number, and it just had thirty-five written on it. So I'm like, "Is that thirty-five dollars or what is <laughs> an <this?"> hour?" 
more than I was making. So I took the job and, you know, I ate my meals at the agency for the first three years and all that stuff. We came up, we had, we had a time. I used to love it. I remember I, I, I was, you know, I lived like a year at home in Long Island and moved to the city. I was like, I got to get out of here. And I was, I was, I, I was making less money than my rent. You know what I mean? Like I, I somehow, I mean, put me into early credit card debt, but we'll talk about it another time. But I remember those early days, like hanging around, hoping there was leftover food from a meeting I wasn't at. I would, we called it vulturing. We would hang around the meeting room for when the meeting ended and we'd swoop in because we knew there'd be leftovers there. And that would be my lunch for the day and save me, you know, 12, 15 bucks living in New York City. Well, they told me, they were like, if you work past eight, we'll give you $50 for a meal. I was like- 50. It's like a stick I'm, I'm about to beat the system. Yeah. We ate a lot of salads from um, the Cheesecake Factory. At that time, my, my apartment was, I was still living in South Beach. And I remember when I moved into the apartment, as an example of how things don't work in Miami, turned on the shower and literally nothing, nothing comes out. And I'm paying rent. and call the plumber, the plumber who gets recommended to me by the landlord. And the plumber comes and takes the shower out, like, and then takes the toilet out. So I'm living at this apartment for three three months. The the toilet was in the living room of my apartment and I would shower at the gym and I would use the bathroom at the gym every, every day. And that was just like, yeah, that's how we do it. That's what you do when you make $35,000 a year. Hi everyone, I wanna tell you about MetaView, a platform that uses AI to automatically write your interview notes for you. I've been using MetaView on my own interviews and it's been a game changer for my efficiency and ability to have high quality conversations with candidates. I could focus on conversations rather than on taking notes. MetaView's interview summaries are purpose-built for recruiting, so they're 10X more accurate and relevant than generic transcription tools. And they work seamlessly with your existing recruiter stack video conferencing tools, and even mobile calls. There's no need to change your existing workflows. Join recruiters at companies like Replit, Scale, and Brex and see the magic for yourself. Head on over to metaview.ai backslash podcast, P-O-Z-C-A-S-T, to get started with your first five interviews for free. Check it out. So you you, you pay your dues, you're doing the early work there. and then you move over to J. Walter Thompson. You're, you're earning your chops there. What was one of those kind of early lessons you learned the hard way in Adland? And I'm going to preface it with one of those early lessons you learned that now being an, an agency owner, you're like, shit, thank God I had that miserable experience because I don't want to replicate it now. One of the lessons I learned was that the, the different departments were run on different profit and loss centers. So they, mm-hmm. were not, they were not sympathetic. They were not helping each other. A dollar you made was a dollar they didn't. And therefore, you were adversaries. And that was a bad plan. I get it from a business standpoint. It's an old school so like, yeah. if, I, if I hand this document from the creative department to the production department, there's a fee. So I learned that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned that one of the lessons that I've learned throughout all of this is that nobody knows anything. No one knows anything. We're not doctors. And even doctors sometimes don't know, but like, um, no one knows anything. You're, you're making it up as you go. And, and I think one of the things that I initially liked about advertising and probably to some extent business in general is that like a large portion of it is just a very high stakes game of make believe. And if you don't blink and you're persuasive, you can win. That sounds kind of scary, but 
particularly in the world of advertising, that's true. Like we're playing high stakes make believe. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause and riff on that for one second here. Um, before I, again, before I pivot into the world of recruiting, I had a, had a great mentor by the name of Justino Makwa at Irwin Penland, and we were working on the Verizon account, and we were working on some piece of strategy. I was a strategist at the time, and she said something to me that resonated. She's like, "I don't care if you're wrong or right. Have a strong point of view and hold to it. That's how you're gonna win." Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, stuck and with even me, being right and wrong. Even being right and wrong, it's like you're going to be wrong more than you're right. You just are. That's human nature. I was reading. uh, It was a was a there was a game show like in the 70s, and the way that it worked was like you picked. It was like door number one, door number two, door number three. Behind one of these doors is a car. So you start the game show right, and it's like Mm -hmm. you just pick uh, door number one, and then they reveal. So you've got a one-third chance. You reveal, all right, behind door number three is a goat. So now, (laughs) do you want to stick with your choice or do you want to change to door number two? And the logical odds suggest that you should probably switch to door number two because the the odds are that that is now a two-thirds chance of being the car. Most people stick to, to number one, thinking it's a 50-50 choice. And I'm not a math science guy, but just the point of that all is that like, if you just follow the numbers, you would change your mind. But sticking to your guns feels better, um, but it's not always the right move. And I think we're sort of diverging a little bit, but like, that's one of the big changes that I think I've, I've sort of learned since my time at Crispin Porter Bogusky and, and the days of JWT um, is that the industry has changed very dramatically where we, we, we really don't walk into a room anymore. I know I just said it's a high stakes game of make believe, but we work mm-hmm. in, in a world that has so much more data now that changing your mind. Of course, cool. and fact checking. Yeah, and did exactly. it work? So, let, so working, let's, you know. it, it, I mean, the times have changed. So let's fast forward a little bit. When did you get that first uh, inkling or idea that you wanted to go out on your own? And start your own agency. The like very early on at CPB, because it was that realization. I was like, there was a like a couple months into that. I was like, oh, this is just, no one knows anything. <laughs> no one knows anything. We're all ma- this is a high stakes game of make believe, and I can play make believe as well as anyone. Um, and therefore, at some point, I'm going to have to do something on my own whatever that may be. Um, and so that little seed is in there from, from the jump. And um, the more people I were, was meeting, the, the people that I resonated with most were the ones that seemed to have already fi- discovered that. Is that it's like, we're all just, there's no rules here. We're all just doing what we want to do. I feel you on that. And, and certainly Alex was the master. That. You know, Alex was the master of that. Well, there's that spirit, right? Like there's the folks that are very happy to go to work every day and, and get that salary and earn that paycheck. That's fine. And no one should talk in that. Um, but then there's others that have a different calling that want to do things their own way and create something differently. I mean, and you put your time in too. And, but let's so, let's talk about that. So was there like that moment like where you just said, I'm, I'm out? Was it like, or was it kind of like, as you said before, kind of building up? 
No, it, it didn't because it didn't pull the trigger sort of until later, you know. And, and and just one, I guess, one more quote on that too. Not just within the world sure. of creativity, but you know, Steve Jobs has the quote of like the thing that gave him confidence was the mindset of knowing that like everything that you've ever seen in this world, someone who's no smarter than you came up with that. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, that's sort of the insight is that like all of us have, not some of us, but like all of us have the potential to do the thing. And there isn't necessarily a blueprint or a roadmap that's going to get you there. You're going to learn, you're going to get help, you're going to figure it out and people are going to feed into you. But there, there's no like path that's laid out for you. You kind of have to just make the jump. And I dig it. At some point in 2009, uh, myself and a small group of people um, tried to start an agency. And, and, and it was a group of like, it was like a count guy, planner, or two creatives. And we, we were pitching for Quiznos. Remember, remember the sub company mm-hmm. sandwich? Yeah, of course. Company. They, they had an RFP and we were invited. And um, I think the pitch ended up being kind of one of those fishing expeditions. So for, again, for people that aren't familiar, like sometimes in this world, uh, a, a client will issue an RFP, which is a request for proposal, invite agencies to share ideas and then not award the business. They'll just consider those ideas and maybe they'll even steal some of them. And, yeah, and it's kind of fishing. I mean, the whole process has been screwy. Yeah. yeah, that's that's definitely a thing that's weird about our business is we, we give away a lot of our stuff for free and then hope they pick us. But um, so that's kind of what happened. And then so that fizzled and fell apart. Um, and actually, at that time, we had we had we were confident. We were being told, like, you guys are the lead agency. We had rented space here in Austin, Texas. It's 2009. Uh, but it fell apart ultimately. And I began freelancing, kind of looking for what the next opportunity might look like. And freelancing was pretty fun and pretty lucrative. Um, I was freelancing all over the mm-hmm. world from Europe to Asia and in the US. Um, but ultimately, it didn't feel like I was kind of moving forward in any way. Um, yeah, you're kind of like a hired gun. You're doing your own thing. But what are you doing career-wise? Right? Yeah, like, what's, like what's languishing a little. Like my skills weren't developing. And the world was changing. 2010, 11, 12 is really the rise right. of direct-to-consumer phenomenon that kind of went on for oh, yeah. about 10, 12 years. Um, and then I ended up taking this big job at JWT because of some of the people that they had hired into the leadership uh, structure of that agency and kind of fell, fell into the trap of um, the, the sales pitch of we're hiring a different breed of creative. We really want to change the profile of this agency. We think you'd be interested I've heard that before. That. It's not true. And I, but I did it. And, and I found out why it's not true. They might even believe that that's what they want to do. But that's when I discovered the P&L system and like, oh, it's just the way that this business runs is, is antithetical to the ability to execute that, that strategy. Because the creative pedigree of this is really just subject to the business model. And the business model is fine. <laughs> you know, the creative pedigree might not be, but the business model is, is, is working but I had a conversation there with a client 
who sat over a portfolio of brands and they had a kind of a startup looking brand. And we really thought that was going to be an interesting creative opportunity. And I said, I'd love to work on that. And they were like, we just don't know. No, we don't think of this agency as the kind of agency that would work on that, that kind mm. of client. And so I realized like I either have the choice of trying to change this guy's mind or I could change where I'm working. And that's when I left and started Circus Maximus. Where does the name Circus Maximus come from? There were two choices. There was Circus Maximus and it was, the idea was like the Circus Maximus in Rome is this place that's existed for two, two millennia. And, and, the, and the content that they create within changes over time. Like you can't go there anymore and see someone get fed to the lions. You can go there and see an EDM dance music festival, but it's still the Circus Maximus. So there's this kind of long-term brand building thing that happens and this short-term content that helps further that narrative. And I like that kind of duality. And I dig it, it. ultimately what Circus Maximus does is help you build brands and over the long term and create content in the short term. And the other idea was problem child. And no one liked problem child. I circulated that around and no one liked that idea. So we went with Circus Maximus. Interesting movie too, Problem Child. Uh going back in the <laughs> back from the past. So so you're you're right, like great movie. So you're uh John Ritter, right? Like yeah. great John Ritter great. in that movie. Um so 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 and it's so funny too, because I'm thinking like as I'm asking these questions, I'm like, these are questions I would ask myself. Like when you're going out and you're finally starting your own agency, you probably almost definitely had the thought, these are things I don't want to replicate in the past. These are things that I didn't like at past agencies. What were a couple of those things that help you build the tenants of culture and how you ran your shop? Well, the idea that we had was my initial partner was a guy named Doug Cameron, who has his own agency now, and it's called the, the Doug Cameron Experience, and it's a great agency. Good name. But his, to me at that time, what I thought was the magic was strategy plus creative execution. And Doug is a strategist and, and, and more. But that's nothing new. I mean, let's be honest. That's nothing new. I mean, I've heard that tagline at other agencies. That's like what makes me different as a recruiter because of me. You're working with me. Like, but, but how does that come to life? Well, his particular approach to strategy was kind of a discipline that he called cultural strategy. So it was all about orienting brands towards capitalizing on these cultural moments um, and therefore winning kind of like winning the news cycle or winning uh, popular opinion by, by injecting brands into culture. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, like we're sort of an echo of that, although I don't, that's not the current strategy of Circus Maximus. And I think where, where our, our agencies differentiated, what Circus Maximus does now, almost 10 years later, is we help brands get their story straight and tell them interestingly. And that seems like a much more solvable problem that feels relevant to the kinds of clients that we work with, which whether you're an entrepreneur or maybe you're a marketing team, getting your story straight first. Yeah, it resonates. The number one step, and it's hard to do. It's, it's functionally simple. It's practically really hard. And then telling it interestingly is where the magic happens. So that goes back to the Circus Maximus thing of like, well, what is our brand really all it. about? And then how are we going to communicate that in kind of in perpetuity? And those things will change. The ways that we tell them, the stories that we tell will change, but the ultimate mission and position and all that stuff, we have to identify, articulate, communicate, clear, concise, compelling, 
and then have fun with the way you tell so, it. I, I love it. And I love that approach. So let me, so let me ask you, as, a, as an agency owner, you interview a lot of folks. What's, what's kind of like your approach to interviewing and what are some of those kind of go-to patented, uh, you know, Ryan, cut your questions? I don't know. Like it's a, it's a great, I think the, mo- the more specific, I guess I can be about what is the position. Um, when we used to interview at various agencies in the past, there were all these questions of like, who's smarter, your mom or your dad? You know, like, and I didn't yeah. even know what the hell we were asking them for like what we were trying to reveal about them. But I think, I, I think what you're trying to look for is if you, have a, if you have a really clear identity of what your brand and business is all about, and we do at Circus Maximus, what I first do is I share this thing. So I wrote, it's called A Vivid Vision. A guy named Cameron Harold, who was the, the, the chief operations officer at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Now he's a business coach. He has this belief. He wrote a book called The Vivid Vision. It's a three-year projection into the future in which you answer all the questions about your business that include, what do we do? Why do we do it? Who do we do it for? Who do we do it with? What does it feel like to do it? How much do we charge for it? All these like really specific answers that create a very crystallized vision of what your brand and business is, what we're doing, what's our mission. So I did that. And before I do an interview, I'll share that with people and say, this is it. This is what we're all about. This is what we're doing. Um, this is where we need some help. And that's a good kind of in or out kind of litmus test. So it's almost I like, dig it. um, like a little bit of a pre, a pre-sell or whatever. And then it's like, then we're talking about what we're going to do together. What are the skills that you have that you think are going to be relevant? And mainly I think it's about like, we're trying to build a kind of a specific business and brand at Circus Maximus that has a unique perspective. And I think I need people to buy into that and be able to contribute to that and, and have the right mindset to help us build that thing. And then the skill set will kind of follow because we're going to ask you to do things that are probably a little different than you've done it. Even, you know, whether you worked at Wyden or Droga 5 or wherever. And honestly, those are two good examples of agencies that maybe don't translate well to what we're doing. But like, interesting. Um, it's going to be about adaptability, flexibility, and and the, and the desire to want to kind of go in a new direction. I think a little bit. All right. So you want to you want to bring out those core. You want you want to see if the the values align, if those answers are kind of jiving with with your direction there. Well, so let me ask you this before we you know before we before we bring it home. Um, what you know, ten years, ten plus years in, what what is the challenge du jour? What's the biggest challenge right now in 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 your company and in, in building it, scaling it, managing it? Yeah. What's what's the What's, keep, what's keeping you up at night, man? Uh, well, for the first, the last quarter of last year and for the first quarter of this year was certainly the macro economy. I actually felt like yep, from, from, a, from an offering standpoint and from an execution standpoint, Circus Maximus, we had a great year in 2022. Um, you know, we've, we've been able to kind of consistently win these small agency awards. So those are the things we're getting right. The macro economy is... is presents a new opportunity for us to get creative about how we're going to deliver services to brands that maybe don't have the money that they used to have. Um, so that's, that's a big one. Um, uh, continuing to be flexible. We created a word called flexilence, which is like creativity mm-hmm. is what we ultimately offer, but flexibility on how we get there is, is the most important thing. Um, what else? Um, so 
I mean, that's not easy. Competition, downsizing, scaling, people outsourcing. I mean, these are real threats. There's all kinds of stuff, but I think getting a really crystal clear advertising, such a big spectrum of services, getting a really clear identity on what it is that we offer, what we're really good at and how that adds value to brands, I think has been instrumental in kind of consolidating our, our sales pitch or our place in the world and helping brands get their story straight and tell them interestingly is a great way in to that. And I think we've also identified the five verticals that we operate in as a business. And so, um, be clear. Yeah. Pick, be specific. You're not everything for everyone. Those days are over. I don't know how that works. No, absolutely not. You got, sometimes you have to niche down. So before we, before we bring it home here, you talk a lot about the concept of Ikigai and how it could help scale your business. If you could just give everyone who's not familiar a little bit of insight into what it is and how it applies to your day to day. Yeah. So Ikigai was kind of a, a helpful thing. It's a Japanese concept that basically means like the purpose of life. Um, and it, it, it stems from asking effectively like four big questions. And now at Circus Maximus, we've kind of made it into five, but it's like, what are you passionate about? What are you good at? What does the world need? And why should they pay you for this? And when you can find the, the Venn, the, the four circle Venn diagram overlap, mm-hmm. that you live in the center of, you're going to feel very fulfilled and, and happy and you'll feel successful in a way um, that's going to be unique. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean like if you're only in one of those spheres, you're probably lopsided. Oh, I've got this thing that people are willing to pay me a lot of money to do, but I hate it. That's a lot of people. That's not Ikigai. So we try to use that as a general framework for when we're doing our brand narrative, uh, kind of work with our clients that we get, we get, we get to an answer that feels like that because that's what feels effectively true or authentic to the brand. I love it. And what, what advice would you give any, any, you know, any of the young folks out there coming out of school and getting into the ad industry to be successful? What a golden piece of advice would you give them? Man, it's a tough one. The advertising industry is such a broad category of things. I think it's like, I would probably run through the Ikigai model and answer those questions and say like, well, what am I passionate about? What am I good at? What does the world need and what can I get paid for? And I'm going to hone in my search around things that answer all four of those questions. And you'll probably find yourself closer to something that you want to be doing than the, uh, you know, the, uh, the career office is going to steer you toward. And, and that could, and that could change, right? Well, two things. One that could change as your career goes and it should. And I think that also applies to almost any, buddy at any point in their career. I mean, I mean, I kind of been giving similar advice to folks right now with the economy, with the layoffs and happening. A lot of people are being forced to pivot and think about like the next move in their career. Like, Hey, maybe my job doesn't exist anymore because of technology, because of the economy, what else could I do? So if you take those principles of Ikigai and you start to map it out and be honest, the first part is you, you have to be supremely self-aware. You can't make shit up because otherwise it's the data, bad data. You're not going to get it, what you want out of it. Yeah. So, so be truthful. And then I think that could really play. It's fantastic advice. So Ryan, let's, let's bring it home here. And I ask all my guests, this show is my masterclass. Yeah. Um, my own personal masterclass that I share with my audience. I get to interview folks like yourself um, and share words of wisdom, but I also like to really understand what your compass is. So Ryan Kutcher, when you look back on your, on your life and your career and you think about that lighthouse, that beacon, 
that North Star that drives you, that keeps everything in focus. Ryan Kutcher, what is your compass? What is your North Star in life? Keep evolving. Is that too succinct? No, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's perfect. Because if you're not evolving, you're, you're dying, in my opinion. I had someone say to me, his name was Alex Bogusky. He looked at me, I was like 30. And he goes, <laughs> how's it feel to be a 30-year-old dinosaur? And it was like a reference to the ways that the industry was changing. And I was like, that's interesting. Um, but I think it was that sort of same mentality. is like, you're only a dinosaur if you believe you are. You guys got to keep moving, keep evolving. So that's- Keep moving. Keep learning. Well, guess what? There's going to be a bonus. There's going to be a bonus question here because I have a creative on the other side of this. So here is the podcast bonus question cool. du jour. Um, the truth is that Ryan Kutcher, he is creative, but what he've always wanted to do was work at a fortune cookie factory writing fortunes. Mm. And now you're the head writer at the fortune cookie factory. It's your first day of work. What is that first fortune that you're writing? And it can't be keep evolving. You already used that one, man. Can I, can I still be a plagiarist though? Can I plagiarize someone else or does it have to be an original? There's not much new these days, man. Um, only you can make yourself happy. I like that. And only you could prevent forest fires. There we go. Yeah. That's a, it's a double set. And what are your lucky, what are your lucky numbers on the back? Uh, let's see. 22, 31, I need a third, seven. There you go, man. Ryan, I want to thank you so much for joining me. This has been a fun, insightful conversation. I really appreciate spending a lot of time on the early days because I, yeah. I speak to a lot of guests and they don't usually have that opportunity to go all the way back. Um, and everyone could check out some current podcasts that Ryan's on if they want to dig in a little bit deeper to what he's working on now. But you could find more about the agency at circusmaximus.com. You could connect with Ryan on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram at Ryan underscore Kutcher. Um, what else are we, are we pitching, promoting, giving away these days? Man, that's it. I mean, come check us out at circusmaximus.com. Uh, and, and, and the links that you offered, that's it, man. We're here. Um, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Sorry, I blabbed the whole time. I had a lot of coffee or caffeine right before. So I was in I mean, talkative mode. Um, well, people don't want to hear me anymore, man. They, they want to hear the guests. And, and that's something I've learned there. So Ryan, hang with me one moment here. This has been a fun chat. Listen, folks out there, if you like this, share it. It goes a long way. Leave a review rating. You know where to find us all at thepodcast.com. Please reach out. Please remember to take care of each other and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.